You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. My name is Bryce Matthews, and this is the Deep and Lonely Podcast presented to you by Houndsman XP. During this podcast, we will dive deep into what makes the ultimate, top-level, and unmatched extreme competition coon hunter. We will hear stories of old, tales of today, and we will dive deep into what separates the men from the boys. The stories will be raw, the truth will be told, and the camaraderie will be second to none. Pull up your chaps. It's about to get deep. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of Deep and Lonely. I've got one of the hottest coon hunters in the sport right now uh, sitting across the table. I'm lucky enough to be joined today by Mr. Duel Murphy. Um, I really appreciate him sitting down to take the time with me to do this podcast. I know he's a busy guy. He's got dogs to hunt. He's got hunts to win. Uh, Duel, how are you doing this evening, buddy? Pretty good. We're... uh been watching it rain all day <laughs> it has been raining i think we've been watching the forecast here uh hopefully hopefully this rain dies off a little bit and then we can go out here and cut a dog loose after this podcast um so dual tell us a little bit about where you got started because i know that coon hunting has not always been where where you've been uh most successful Let, let's go back before that what was your first true passion before coon hunting uh i've rode dirt bikes since i've been uh about three years old and that's what i thought i was going to do pretty much the rest of my life i uh i made it up to the pro rankings and uh i ended up having my kid and i figured i better find a safer sport to uh do (laughs) yeah the the racing it takes a toll on on guys um you know physically mentally it it's not easy to do um Making it up to pro, let, let's go back. Where did you start in that? You've been racing since you were three. Did you come through the rankings, um, like going through like the Loretta Lynn qualifiers and all that? Was that something that you did? See, it, it was something like that, um, but it was the Grand National Cross Country, and that's the GNCC. It's all off-road. It's no motocross. So uh, it's kind of different than the Loretta Lynn's, but uh, you have to make your way up through the rankings. Like It starts a C-class then b then a then pro gotcha and i actually did not know that you did the cross-country stuff i actually thought you were in the motocross so that, that's cool to learn because i had an interest in the gncc stuff but whenever i raced i stayed more on the motocross side of things never did get in that wood stuff i didn't think the four-wheelers and trees mixed very well um so you you quit when you had your son um what inspired you i guess other than the fact that you needed something a little bit safer to, to quit racing because if you were like myself, whenever I decided to step down from racing, that's a hard decision. Um, was it all based around your son? Um, mostly. I was kind of burnt out, to be honest with you, about leaving every weekend and traveling every state. Um, there was 13 rounds a year for the GNCCs. The first round started in Florida. The last round ended in October, and that would be up in Indiana. You know, so... It, it took a toll on, on traveling every weekend and doing that. And uh, then I had my kid, uh, I think it's two, 2018. And uh, I don't know. I just figured I should find something a little bit safer. And uh, we just went with coon hunting. So you've, you've been coon hunting for a while um, before you decided to give up racing and, and coon hunt as your main hobby. I uh, believe you got started with our with our buddy Trace and his grandpa. Is that right? Yeah. Yep. His name was Roger Searles. Um, I believe I got started in uh, 
I can't remember the year, but it was in high school. We would, uh, I'm sure some people have heard this already, but we would all go out to uh, Rogers on the weekend and we'd rabbit hunt all day and coon hunt all night. And it was just a way to get out of town and go have fun with your buddies all weekend. And, and you know, Trace and yourself are still good buddies. And, uh, you know, I, I'm honored to call Trace a friend myself. He's, he's a great guy, so I can only imagine, you know, how his grandpa was and getting you involved in it. Um, Let's let's talk about the first dog that you had because I'm sure when you hunted with Trace and his grandpa, you kind of just went with them and their dogs. When did you get your first dog, and, and what what kind of dog was he? Uh, actually bought him off Craigslist for 750 bucks, and his name was Sherm, and uh, he had one of them glass eyes. It's not literally a glass eye; it's uh, just a a white eyeball. It just looks odd, and everyone calls him glass eyes. But I bought him off Craigslist and went hunting with him a, a few times and it started turning people away hunting with me because he'd always go so far and so deep and everyone was always tired of walking so far They're like oh we're not going with you you that dog goes too far <laughs> and back then i didn't really know if that was good or bad or or nothing i was just starting out so it was all fresh to me too yeah i'm, I'm gonna go down a rabbit hole, rabbit hole here for a second you know, it's it's funny that you say you got your first dog off Craigslist because that's actually where I got my first dog as well. Um, but I didn't have such good luck with my first dog. Uh, you know, I, I ended up trading a John boat with a hole in the bottom of it for this coon dog. Uh, I drove a couple hours, went and got him, and the guy told me, he literally texted me, he said, hey, man, I'm not home. Drop the boat off in the front yard. The dog, he's in the back. His name's Hank. Good luck. <laughs> and and so I brought I brought old Hank home, and and Hank was the first dog that, that taught me anything about coon hunting. Um, he taught me uh, a lot about how, a lot about what a dog shouldn't do, if we're being real honest. He wasn't great. He would go out and tree coons, but he would also tree possums. He'd tree slicks, and he would bark all day and all night in the kennel. And at the time, I didn't know any better, you know? Um, but then I started hunting a little bit more and learned that Hank wasn't what I was looking for, but he was... He was my first dog, and so I'm always going to be partial to Hank. Um, it's just funny that you said, you know, you got him off Craigslist. Because I was like, hmm, funny story. I did the same thing. Uh, the first time I met you, Duel, I don't, I don't know if you remember this or not, was with you, me, and Jeremy Jones went hunting. Um, I didn't know much about competition hunting, and I actually worked with Jeremy's brother, Justin, at General Motors, and I was—I kept asking him, like, hey, man, like, is there anybody around here that hunts? Because I had just moved up to northern Indiana. I was new to the area, didn't know anybody. Um, he said, yeah, man, my brother my brother Jeremy hunts, and, you know, he'd probably be glad to take you one night. So I got a hold of Jeremy and met up with him, and, and you were in the truck that night. And I inter introduced myself, and um, you, you did as well. And at that point, I remember asking, I was like, so do you know anything about this competition coon hunting stuff? Because um, that's really what I was interested in and wanted to learn about. And I'll never forget your answer was maybe a little. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was it, you know. And and now looking back from that time, which was, you know, four or five years ago that we've known each other, um, I think you know more than just a little bit about coon hunting. I definitely do now, for sure. I may have known just a little bit then, but I little I know a little bit more now. <laughs> it, it was it, it was funny. It was it was a little quiet. It was a little secretive, and it was just a little bit. So I, I really didn't know. But you know, looking back at what you've done in the last four or five years, it's just been incredible. You've had a had a tremendous journey. You've done some incredible things that a lot of people um, aspire to do, and you've knocked them off quickly. Um, you you really rose rose through the ranks um, at a rapid pace. So. Let's talk about the first dog that I, well, I would say is your first dog, correct me if I'm wrong, that you did a little bit of winning with. Um, just just go into that, who you were partners with, and a little bit about what you did with her. Yeah, uh, it was River. I think she's uh, 9 or 10 now. She still lives. And uh, we, uh, we did pretty good with her. Jason worked a lot. Jason Smith was my partner on her. And uh, he raised her from a pup. And... We uh, we hunted a lot, and he uh, he worked a lot too. So I was mostly going to the hunts without him if it was something bigger, and uh, I ended up winning Autumn Oaks in 2018 with her, and that was the first time I ever entered Autumn Oaks, and it was pretty pretty big and special win, you know. That that hunt, um, if my memory serves me correctly, was that a hunt that you didn't even plan on really going to? It was a last-minute decision to go to, and it was your first time entering it? Was yeah. that how that worked? Yeah. So I really wouldn't plan on going, 
and uh, Jason actually hunted her and got her into the top 16 and uh, he uh, had some stuff with church the rest of the weekend and he said if you got her in the top 16 that I'd I'd have to finish it out and uh, we did just that I mean and you took it all the way you won you won an event that some people would try for years to win they try they try their whole career to win autumn oaks is a very prestigious event um, for those of you guys who aren't aware of what autumn oaks is or haven't been there i believe that you know talking to guys that that holds some of the most prestige um, along the competition coon hunts after river or did, let's let's go back to river so you won autumn oaks did you continue to hunt her um what, what did you guys do with her after that did you just lay her up and breed her what happened there yeah we uh we continued to hunt her um, I think we won a Indiana State championship with her. See, uh, back then, none of these big, big hunts were around, and we really didn't have the money to push her in any of the big ones if there was any. So we just hit little stuff here and there, like we'd go to the world hunt with her nationals, but we never did it, did any good at none of them. So, and, and it's funny, we're going to tap into this here later, because you say back then there wasn't very many big hunts. And back then, honestly isn't that long ago you know that's four or five years ago um it's it's very it just blows my mind to see how far the sport of coon hunting has come since then and we're going to get into that uh, just a little bit later so after river you moved on to a, another female named piper uh, and tell me tell me about that cross because didn't you make that cross uh actually nick emmel made the cross with his tracker dog and uh dave trumbo's lawless lucy okay and uh i think the litter had 14 pups in it i'm pretty sure they all lived i don't know where they're all at now but uh i got her when she was six weeks old and she didn't tree her first coon till she was a year and a half and i was pretty close on giving up on her and uh giving her to somebody um i don't have much patience for pups and uh I took her to Dave Collins after I figured out that she was interested in, in treeing, and uh, he got her treeing, and then I took her home and, and finished her up how I wanted her. And Piper is a dog that, that you have held on to since day one. Um, she, Your name is still on her papers. Uh, she's lived at your house. And it, What type of dog is Piper? What about her has made you want to keep on her for all these years? She's a action pack. She's good strike dog. She makes stuff happen, whether it's right or wrong. She's she's gonna make make something happen, and uh, I'd say that she got better with age. And I mean, she's just a solid dog now. And I probably don't give her enough credit. You know, she's probably the best one I got out there. And uh, I always go with something else. It's I don't know. It's just weird. <laughs> it it is, and I'm gonna test that. Is I I don't think you give her enough credit. You know, you and I are, or I'm very fortunate to be able to hunt up here with you now, uh, now that we live pretty close together. And uh, I've hunted with Piper a lot, and she is a solid A1 coon dog. She's she's right more than she's wrong, and but whatever she does, like you said, she's action-packed. She's fun to hunt with. Um, let's go into some of the wins that you had with Piper. Anything notable? Yeah, um, I think it was 2000, I think it was 2018, I got in the Final Four of the pkc truck hunt with her got into the final four with river um i think it was a month before that and then the final four with with piper and didn't win either of them but we were there and uh then uh i think i've, I've been in the top i mean it's nothing big but top 16 of uh, a couple indiana state races back then and last year um Got her into the Tournament of Champions for UKC, and we ended up getting into the final three, and we placed second, winning 30000 So that was that was pretty pretty eventful for a dog that you've had since she's been six weeks old. Uh, didn't you also win an, a big hunt in AKC with her? Yeah, yep. Um, it was probably five, four or five months ago. Um, over in Ohio, they had the AKC World Hunt, and I honestly didn't even know what was going on until uh, I woke up one day and seen a flyer that they were having, uh, <laughs> the qualifier that day, and it was three hours from the house, and I said, oh, I'm, bo I'm bored today, so I'm going to uh, 
go over there and try it out and went over there and doubled doubled up and got into the final four and uh got lucky late treat a couple coon in the finals and took it home so you said that um you know you don't really enjoy or have much patience for messing with pups but piper is a, a dog that you've you've owned since she was six weeks old you've won uh placed second in the tournament champions ukc thirty thousand there you've won an akc world hunt and is she, has she made platinum yet in pkc yeah she's uh this year um the 2022 pkc world hunt i got in the top nine with her and that paid it was six or nine thousand and that made her platinum i think she's uh up twenty seven thousand in earnings now for pkc so this dog that you raised and trained and did everything on your own has now won over fifty thousand dollars she's placed second in the in the tournament champions which is probably the second biggest hunt for um ukc and she still has a place in your kennel um that that's pretty impressive that you know you haven't went out and and sold her now does ike rainy own part of her now yeah he he owns her um uh she'll she won't ever leave leave it over here you know that, that was our deal he knows what she means to me and everything but I, t- I took her down there to florida and drove 17 hours straight there got there right at dark the first time he's ever seen her and uh cut her loose and she treated four coons in a row in 45 minutes and he was pretty impressed and we had to talk some business after that <laughs> so but she but she resides at your house you know she might have a different na- different owner um, on paper, but but she's she's always going to be Dual Murphy's dog. Um, you know that's that's impressive. I can't say that I have ever raised a dog to do that. Uh, maybe one day I'll get lucky. So before you met Ike, let's back up a little bit and let's talk about your partnership that you had with Johnny Watkins. Um, I know you and him have been buddies for a long time, and and maybe you can give us some more information on this. But the first time I guess I really noticed that you know you and Johnny were partners was whenever you had your Melvin dog. Do you, you want to go into that just a little bit? Yeah, we uh, we were probably partners uh, probably a year prior to that. You know, we would uh, buy some dogs, hunt them, and if it wasn't exactly what we were looking for, we would uh, move them on down the road, which everyone that ended up buying dogs off of us still went on to win and beat us in hunts, you know, and we were always wondering, why, man, we sold another good one. But uh, no, me and Johnny had a real good partnership, and uh, he still supplies me with lights from the Razor Lights that he owns, and boots, anything that Coon Hunter Supply has, they uh, Johnny hooks me up. So let, let's talk about Melvin a little bit. Tell me about the history of Melvin. What what's he out of? Um, who did he come from? Let, let's just talk. Let's talk Melvin because because I know what Melvin meant to you. Let, let's talk about him a little bit. Yep. Uh, Melvin, he uh, he was all Fred Bear, and drawing a blank. It was uh, Lacey, uh, layup Lacey, or I can't remember right now. But uh, we uh, purchased him off Kevin Cable, and I think Melvin was he uh, grew up in Novo, Ohio. Um, Sean Bowers owned him, and. Uh, we bought him from Cable when he was around a year old. He was already tree and coon. And uh, I just went to hunting him every night and trying to make him how I wanted him. And it worked out pretty good. So what, what type of dog was Melvin? And I, I do mean that in the, the coon hunting competition side of things. But I think you and Melvin had a deeper deeper connection than that. Like what, what did that dog mean to you personality-wise and what type of dog was he? Yeah, he he uh, he would tree him all around you. He would he would tree him every fifty yards or every mile. It, as soon as he smelt one, he was treeing it. He didn't have to blow through to get away from anything. He would tree him as he come. And uh, I don't know. He was like he's pretty much my best friend. He rode up front with me everywhere. He he's just like having a house dog. You could let him in the house. He'd jump up on the couch and go to bed. And it wasn't just a coon dog. He uh, he was just like. A house dog it, it was crazy that he he knew what to do when you turn him loose in the woods or if you turn him loose in the house he knows he he's needs to mind his manners right and that's one thing we're trying to do with this podcast is really reach out to people and, and let them know how much these hounds mean to us like 
I, there was countless videos, like you said, of Melvin riding, riding around in the truck with you and, and sitting on the couch, we'd get Snapchats and Melvin just be zonked out on the couch with the TV playing. They're, they're more, they're more than a dog. Like you said, they, they become part of you. They're an extension of you. They're, they're your best friends. Um, and it's just, that's something that I really want to push for people to know that, you know, us houndsmen, we really, we really take pride in these dogs and we take care of them the best that we can. Now, Let's go back to the competition side with Melvin. You and him went on an absolute tear for a while. It seemed like everywhere you took Melvin, he was getting his picture taken. What what hunt did you win with Melvin that would maybe mean the most to you, I guess? Um, I'd say probably uh, the pro sport truck hunt. It, uh, it was my second truck I've won, but it meant something to me winning it with Melvin because he probably meant the most to me out of out of most of the dogs because from where he started to where he ended it everywhere i took him it didn't matter if it was indiana ohio texas florida he found a way to win and you can't find that anywhere and i still haven't been able to find it yet so you're now hunting for ike rainey and he is arguably you know one of the biggest money guys in the sport right now he supports the sport of coon hunting a hundred percent um, he sends a lot of you guys to some big hunts, and he's got some incredible dogs. Do you think you would have met Ike had it not been for Melvin? Uh, yeah, I actually met him at uh, Super Stakes. Okay, uh, about a year ago. No, it was probably two years ago. I met him. Um, I was hunting a dog named Jag, and I actually drew him, and he was hunting his homeboy dog. So that's where I met him at. Okay, so that, that's where you had your initial meeting with Ike, but. Ike ended up purchasing Melvin off of you, correct? Yep. And and once he was in Ike's name um, under official ownership, and maybe this is a question, um, it's, it's a little more personal, but did you work something out with Ike kind of like you did with Piper where he owned the dog, but that dog stayed at your house and you were the handler? Yeah. he. Uh, when we, just like the Piper deal, he, uh, he knew hun- who hunted the dog and who the dog knew and who he'd do the best with. I mean, you can't always just send a dog to somebody and say, Hey, go do what this guy did with it and go win with it. Cause it, it don't work out like that, you know? And he knew that, uh, what Melvin meant to me and everything. So that's why he stayed with me the whole time. I, I was curious about that after I heard that that transaction taking place, I was like, you know, that was a really, really neat that you got to keep the dog, um, and hunt the dog, but also smart on Ike's part, you know, to, to realize that, that he didn't just buy a nice dog, but you know, it's a package deal that a lot of times you're buying the handler behind the dog. Um, like, like you said, you can't take, you can't take a dog and switch it from handler to handler all the time and expect it to perform the same. Um, you've got a lot to do with that. Now, now that you're hunting with Ike, um, I know that you are busy. It was hard for us to find time to schedule this podcast. You're on the road a ton. Does that take a toll on you and your family i know you said that's kind of one of the reasons that you you gave up racing was you got burnt out on it you were on the road all the time but it seems like it's about the same with coon hunting is is that taking a toll on you and your your kids yeah um i wouldn't say it's taking a toll because i can i can pick and choose where i go and it all makes it better when you can win a truck or all the money they're offering these days like when i was racing on the weekends if I'd hit up a couple Indiana pro races, I could make a thousand each day, but I'm putting my body through torture for right. three hours straight grand national cross country race. You yeah, know, absolutely. And can barely walk the next day. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it does get old, uh, driving a lot. Like I need to hire a driver or something cause I get tired <laughs> of driving, but, uh, no, I, I love coon hunting and, uh, it, it keeps me going, and I'm sure when my kids get older that uh, I'll have to slow down a little bit when they get in sports because I'm not going to miss all that. You know, they're only young ones. Yeah. So you're on the road a lot, and being on the road can face its challenges, and, and, and it has its risk in itself. Um, I want to spend a little bit of time here talking about your incident back, I guess it was last year, wasn't it? Yep. Just just last year, gosh, it doesn't. It seems a little bit further than that, but yeah, it really about a wasn't. Year and uh, it happened in January, so a year and 
two months. Man. So for those that don't know, Duel was in a very serious vehicle accident uh, down at a hunt in Texas. And I, I honestly, Duel, I, I've never told you this, so it's, you're hearing this for the first time, just like the listeners. When I found out that you were in the wreck, it shook me up bad. And, and I don't know why. I think it was our buddy Nick that texted me and said, hey, you know, Duel's been in a pretty serious, serious wreck. And I said, is he okay? And he said, I, I don't know. I just know that it's really bad. Um, him and Bronk have been in, they're, they're in bad shape. And, and my girlfriend can attest to this, that for two days I was messed up because I couldn't, I didn't know, you know, I didn't know if you were right, didn't know um, how severe the injuries were. And just, just because we're friends, I mean, it, it had me, had me messed up for a while. So once I found out, you know, you're all right, a little banged up, I, I was much better. But for two days, man, I was, I was a little tore up over it. So I didn't like to see that. But take me through that accident in Texas. I want, I, I want to start at the beginning. Let's go through what happened and what you remember. So uh, it was a three-day hunt, the Black Eyed Peas. It's a $6,500 entry. And uh, it starts on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Thursday, I got beat. Friday, I got I got in, and uh, I think we ended up splitting. And then Saturday is when I had my accident. And we, uh, me and Bronk, the other guys that we were staying with, they ordered some, uh, I think, takeout food or, or something, and we really didn't want that. Um, so we uh, we had to run to Walmart and get some stuff too. So we went to Walmart and then uh, we went to the bar and grill Lakeside, that was right down the road from the the cabin we were staying at, and we uh, we ate there, and then we uh, it was getting kind of close to deadline. And I think we were about twenty minutes from the club, so uh, we started to go back and pick up Melvin and change clothes and so we went back and and picked up melvin and we uh we were on our way back to the hunt and they they've drawn out at this point and said that they sent us a pen and said hey we'll uh we'll just meet you down the road because we're kind of going towards the way you're coming from that way you ain't got to drive all the way here and we can get things going and so they uh sent us the pen and we were trying to rush around, which we probably shouldn't have. And we ended up missing a curve right down the road from the club and struck a tree. And, I mean, that's, that's pretty much it. <laughs> is, that, is that all you remember? Are you blocked out after that point? Yeah, I don't, I don't remember. I don't remember hitting it or probably a day or two after it. I don't remember much. It, you know, that's it's scary. Um, I've been in a couple pretty bad accidents myself but the two well the one real bad one that I was in I remember everything that happened like it was slow motion time stood still um it it was bad so I was just curious on if you remembered anything that happened there um what what happened during that wreck what what injuries did you sustain um it shattered my hip and they uh they had to reconstruct my hip so I have a big plate in it, then I have eight screws, and they said I was too young to just get a full hip replacement. So they're gonna wait, I don't know, hopefully 20 years or so before they they uh, replace my hip. And then um, it exploded the artery in my neck, and they said that I was pretty much bleeding out when when the wreck happened. So they got that all all taken care of, and it's been. I think a year and, and two months since the wreck and it's probably been right at a year. Well, I don't even know if I've been I was walking at this time last year. I think it was late March, early April when I started walking again. Now we're getting real close to that. Yeah. And when all this went down they told me six to eight months if I'm lucky. And uh I think I made it three months and I started hunting again. And I, I remember your first hunt back. I, I wasn't there, but I remember people talking about it. Um, it was, it was. I don't even know the words to describe it. It was. I was glad. I was cheering you on. Let's put it that way. 
because um, you you had Melvin, correct? Mm-hmm. So you and Melvin were back in the saddle. What during that wreck? Let's talk about Melvin and Bronk who are riding with you. Yep. So Melvin was actually in the back seat where he always rode because he was too good to ride in the box. <laughs> but uh, he was in the back seat. Bronk was in the passenger seat, and. Where I hit the tree at, it was kind of dead even in the truck, right in the middle of the truck. So I think if it would have been a little left or a little right, I don't know if either of us would have been here to to talk about it. But uh, Bronx suffered some head injuries with uh, some deep cuts and stuff, and he also broke his femur. And then when people got to the scene, Melvin was out of the truck by me, and he was so scared he took off and they found him like a mile mile or so away at some somebody's house so uh, no, i didn't i didn't know that part i knew that they they found him you know over a mile away but i didn't realize that after the wreck had happened he was still laying next to you yeah he they uh i think uh one of the first people that pulled up said that they seen the dog sitting out there beside me and then I mean, he was shook up. I'm sure. Obviously, yeah. And uh, he, they said he took off. Yeah, that's and that's a part that I I didn't know that part. Um, that's <laughs> it's it's cool to see you know that Melvin was sitting there next to you because I know you two had had that bond. So let's before we get back to walking, let's go back to you were in the hospital. For those couple weeks you were in the hospital, there were a ton of rumors flying around about what had happened to Duel Murphy and Bronk McDaniel. Some of those rumors were outlandish, if we're being honest. Um, I know you were in a bad spot, and you probably don't remember much, but it, it made me a little sick hearing some of the rumors that were going on. Um, and I just, you know, I, I always wanted this opportunity to, to find out what had happened. And I'm glad we got that, that full story, just to dispel the rumors, because um, it, it was a little crazy at times. While you were laying in the hospital, and I'm sure you you heard everything floating around, did you ever have any pressure from Ike or from your friends? Was anybody giving you any any hard times over it? No, not at all. Um, I mean, I was I didn't even have my phone for two or three weeks because they had my phone mixed up in the Bronx stuff. So I thought my phone was was at the accident scene or or lost for good, you know. So I didn't hear much from a lot of people except close people that were calling my uh hospital phone and then a a few days after the wreck i ended up getting a a prepaid phone or or something that i could talk to people on but yeah the the rumors were were pretty crazy i heard probably 10 or 15 different ones that not one of them were ever true you know and it was just crazy how something like that spread so fast and throughout the whole coon dog world and even people from my hometown that don't even know nothing about coon hunting was hearing stuff and i was like man that's, that's crazy <laughs> yeah it, when it was like it spread like wildfire they were they were just getting getting out of control um so you said i never gave you any any grief or anything like that you had a lot of time to lay there and think during the recovery when all that happened did you ever were you ever scared that you know you might not be able to walk correctly again um, in the sense that it takes somebody in good physical condition to keep up and compete at this highest level of the sport. Uh, We're walking miles every cast to these dogs. Were you ever scared that you might lose your full-time handling job uh, just to something completely out of your control? I I knew if I could walk, I'm going to make it work. And uh, as soon as obviously I didn't know that I was when I'd walk or how I would walk or anything um, when I was in the hospital still, but uh, I knew if I could walk and I could make everything else back to normal as soon as I could get back on my feet. And uh, but yeah, like you were saying, I I was kind of scared and about having a limp or or my leg being sideways or, or something. I don't know. I've right. never, never had surgery like this before or been in a big accident. So I didn't know what was to come or if maybe in 10 years, I won't be able to walk. I, I have no clue, but here we are now. And I've probably put probably 300 miles on this hip since last <laughs> year. Or so, so 
<laughs> I'd hate to know it. It's probably already tired, but I don't know. We're we're still rolling. I'd say you put more than 300 miles on that hip. I know how much we walk whenever you and I hunt together, and that's only one or two nights a week if we're lucky. Um, yeah, you got to grease that old hip, especially in these cold conditions. Got to keep her loosened up. Oh yeah. Um, so you walk you walked in three months when the doctors told you six to eight. Was there something in the back of your head that was your driving motivation to get out there? Um, you know, I, I interviewed Dick Brothers the last podcast I did, and he was a stroke victim. And he said when he was laying there, like all he could think about was getting back in the woods and getting back as soon as possible. And that was his driving motivation. Did you have the same feeling? Yeah. Uh, I was honestly tired of laying on the couch and propping my leg up. And I told myself once I can walk, I'm, I'm going to start hunting again. And I think what pushed me too was I had that electric bike. And uh, once I figured out I could walk and get on and off that bike, I started hunting about every night again. Maybe not all night long, but a, a few few hours a night until I knew I could make it, you know. Right. While all that was going on, uh, I'm sure you had a lot of time to, th- to just think to yourself. Did you ever sit back and and reflect on why you do this is is it worth it running up and down the roads to these hunts and laying out in the woods every night because i know you will hunt by yourself a lot too if nobody else is going you'll be in the woods laying out there by yourself working on dogs getting them ready for the next big hunt um you've got two kids now on the weekends if you're gone you're not here seeing what's going on with them is it is it worth it right now running up and down the roads every weekend at, at the elite level in the position you're in that a lot of people would aspire to be in they want to be a full-time handler they they think and and it might be the dream job i don't know i don't live that life but what is it for you is it worth it yeah um i mean a, a guy can make a a second living if not, they're only living doing this with the hunts and the opportunities I get to go to every weekend with with Ike behind me, you know. So it's worth it for sure. Um, when my kids get older and, and get some sports, then, yeah, I'm going to sit back a little bit. And I, don't count me out, but I, uh, I'll probably just sit back a little bit more. But uh, definitely don't count me out. I'm, I love to coon hunt and... I'm not in it totally for the money. If if I didn't have no passion in it, I, I probably would have quit already. You know, right. I, I'd love to do it. When it gets dark out at night, whether it's raining, I, I ask myself, is it raining hard enough or too hard or just a little bit? You know, um, I just love to coon hunt. And, I mean, that's, that's just how it is. So <clears throat> you said earlier that back in the day, the hunts weren't that big. And we, like I said, that was only four or five years ago. What have you seen that is driving these hunts? We've had, since that I can remember, three hunts now for $100,000, maybe four. Two, two with Pro Sport, two with PKC. So four of them for $100,000. They just announced the first $1 million purse competition coon hunt. What has exploded in the last five years <laughs> it's uh it's hard to say if if a guy was to look back in 2018 and and seen all the pro classics and that's when you still had your 300 dollars pro hunts every month in each state you'd have a early and a late round and it would be 300 dollars entry each you know and uh i uh so there's been $400,000 hunts in two years, and now there's a million-dollar hunt. And it's just unbelievable what, say, what it's coming to, you know. Who, who knows what's gonna, what it's going to be in two years, you know. I mean, a guy would think winning 10000 in two years might be like winning a hundred back in 2018. It, right. Like it, it, I think it's just going to keep going and going and going. At what point does coon hunting become mainstream? I think it's making a huge run right now. There's a big push. I'd say it's there. It just hasn't had the right people 
pushing it in the right areas to make it the rest of the way. I'd say it's there completely, you know. I think someone could could start a TV show on it or or follow around all these big pro hunts and, and get their own show. You look at at other sports, um, and let, let's take horse racing, for example. Let's go to the Kentucky Derby, the Triple Crown, all those big races. When those horses come off the track and they take their pictures, they do their celebrations, they're going back to the stables and they're having blood work done on those horses. Do you think coon hunting is heading in that direction? Do you think we're to the point where people are going to be trying everything they can come up with to win a part of that million dollar purse? First place prize is $500,000. They're paying a $10,000 entry fee just to compete. Do you think there's going to be a time where we're checking for some shady stuff going on? Oh, for sure. Um, I'd say is, I'd say it'd be lean more towards the the judging part. Like, if you if you know anything about like the bass tournaments and stuff, like they have a a judge on their boat that watches what they catch and stuff. Well, I don't know if this is exactly true or not, but I've heard some of them they they take polygraph tests before they go out and when they come back in to make sure everything was legit. You know the judges of the bass fishing tournaments. Yeah. Okay, I didn't know this. Yeah, that's what I'm pretty sure. Like almost ninety percent positive that that's true. So I could see it going towards that into the future. With that much money on the line, everything needs to be straight and narrow. You know, uh, there's just too much money on the line for somebody to get paid a little on the side or something for for something to ruin something else from somebody. It's just it's crazy. You can look at it 50 different ways, and it may never come up like that or not, but you're still thinking about it. Right, and going back to the fishing thing, it was just a few months ago, I believe it was a walleye tournament, they busted two guys for adding weights and all kinds of other stuff inside of these fish to win the tournament. And when they went back, uh, I'm going to get my numbers wrong, so I'm not even going to speak on it, but they had won several thousands, and if not hundreds of thousands of dollars, over the last three or four years in these tournaments. And who knows how long they had been doing that. You want to think and you want to believe that every time you turn your dog loose in a cast, you're going to get a fair shake and a fair opportunity. Do you think that's the case? Do you see any of that going on at these bigger hunts? Uh, I mean, honestly, at the bigger hunts, I think uh, you have more problems at the local little hunts um mostly at the bigger hunts everyone's pretty much a gentleman about it and we're all there to win but we're all there to be do it the right way you know um i couldn't see it getting like that but i've seen some weird stuff so i'm not sure you said that you think coon hunting is at the mainstream level right now we've talked about the money that is there to be won um, I mentioned that it's $10,000 to enter this million-dollar hunt. And I believe it's 126 entries. Do you think there's 126 guys who are going to be willing to lay down $10,000 and bet on themselves and their dog? Do you think that hunt's going to fill? I, uh, I mean, I don't want to jinx them or nothing, but personally, I don't think it'll fill 126. Um, I would say after... They take out, say say we're going off the 126 number. I'd say if you take out all the paid handlers and guys with backers, you're still going to need to find, I'd say, 40 or 50 guys that are, are got 10,000 burning a hole in their pocket, and I just don't think it's possible. Prove me wrong. I might be wrong. Right. But I, I, mean, I hope that'd be sweet, you know, but I just... I don't know. That's unbelievable. We ain't ever seen it before, so we don't know if it's going to fill or not. We haven't, and, and it has caused a stir in the coon hunting world, in the competition world. Um, I personally have been juggling this myself, and and I was trying to come up with even, you know, 75 guys who have a backer um, or who you would consider to be a money guy uh, to fill it. And I was, I was struggling with that myself, just trying to come up with that many guys. So 
on that topic, do you think that it takes a money man or a backer for a guy to run at the elite level at this sport right now? Do you think that a guy who can't, who doesn't go to these $6,500 entry fees, who doesn't go to these uh, $4,000 pro classics, do you think that guy can still make a name for himself, or does it have to be done at these big hunts? That's a hard question. I'd say uh, I'd say you can make a name for yourself if if the right people see you doing the right things and and making your own dogs and showing good dog work and and stuff like that you can you can definitely make a name for yourself you don't just have to be at the top of the level playing with the best in the game i would say you know but i don't know it's that's a hard question you know uh i'd say you can make a name for yourself if you want if you want it it may be good or a bad name you know right that's very true you know you could play either side of that fence um, I know when I first started competition king hunting, my goal and aspiration was I want to be on the cover of Pro Hound. I want to be on the cover of Coon Hound Bloodlines. Um, and it seems like the guys making the cover these days are those guys winning the big hunts. So for a guy who has those dreams and aspirations, it almost makes you wonder if it's out of reach at this point. Um, but let's go back to a couple weeks ago. The hundred thousand dollar PKC hunt. Um, I don't even. I don't honestly. I'm gonna not speak out of turn here. I don't know the gentleman that won the hunt. Um, he was not a guy that I recognized his name. I didn't recognize his dog, but I did see that he was the owner and handler on the dog. He went out there and put up his money, his entry fee, four thousand dollars that I'm sure he worked hard for, saved up for, and he believed in himself and his dog. And he went out there and won a hundred thousand dollars. So that, I mean, that in itself is a testament that it can be done, but do you think that coon hunting is becoming a, let's say a money man sport? Do you think it's getting up there um, where it's almost a social event with guys that, that have a little bit more money and a little extra change to spend, a little extra coin in their pocket where they're going and socializing and, and betting on their dogs essentially is what it is when you buy an entry. Yeah. Um. I don't believe that that's how it is. Uh, if it was nothing but big money hunts and they took all the small ones away, then I would be like, yeah, you're, you're probably right. It's headed towards that way. But there's a hunt every night of the week within two hours of my house from $35 to $2,500 if it's on the right date for a pro classic. There's a hunt for anybody, you know. Um, as far as if you want to spend a thirty-five dollar entry, or you want to spend twenty-five hundred dollar, or forty-five, or sixty-five, or ten thousand, there's a hunt for anybody. Whether you're working man, playing with your boss's money, or or whatnot, you know, right. having a backer or anything. And and you enjoy, and you still go to those small hunts. Last last night you were at a thirty-five dollar hunt. Yep. Right down the road. Yeah. And. Did did you enjoy that as much as a cast for where you're hunting for a new truck? Uh, <laughs> is there a difference, I guess, is what I'm asking? Like, can you tell a significant difference between a local hunt and a big hunt? I know you go to all of them, so you obviously love to hunt, but is there a different feel? Is there a different vibe at those hunts? I would say as far as, like, coming down to the last minute, the final four of getting ready to win a new truck and, and you're winning, yeah, there's a huge, huge difference. You got an adrenaline dump. yeah. But as far as out here during the week at $35 hunts, like, I still enjoy it. I get wound up and like to do it. You know, if I didn't like coon hunting, I was just about the money, you wouldn't see me at nothing like that and just at the big ones. Right. You know, but I enjoy it. And, and my boss enjoys it. He's hunting $30 hunts during the week. You know, he, he loves it, loves coon hunting, and so do I. So I, I would say... If I'm winning a new truck, yeah, I'm going to be pumped up, excited. Right, right. But $35 hunt, that's, I don't know, it's still excitement, you know. Cause right. Because you look back at your first third, your first cast whenever, yeah, you're excited. It started the fire. You're ready to go, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So you have, what I would say, you have made it to the pinnacle of where a guy 
in, involved in competition coon hunting aspires to be. You have a full-time backer. You're making a good second income on this. And, and I'm proud of you for that. Honestly, on a personal level, I'm proud of you. Because I, like I said, when I first met you, I asked if you knew anything about competition. You said, yeah, maybe a little. And, and look at you now. So kudos to you. I'm, I'm proud of you. I genuinely am happy for you. And I love the fact that, speaking just for you personally, I don't think it's changed you much as an individual. Um, it hasn't got to your head. You don't walk around with your chest puffed out. Um, and that could, that could do that to a lot of guys. They could get a little arrogant. They could think they're better than somebody. I've never seen you treat anybody that way, and you've personally never treated me that way. Uh, you know, you and I go out and pleasure hunt one or two nights a week whenever you're home, and, and I enjoy that. I enjoy the friendship, um, and I enjoy watching you succeed. So you, you're at the top. There, there's the top of the mountain. I appreciate that. Let, let's talk about when you hit the valley. That happened a while ago. You were, you were winning everything you went to with you and Melvin. What happened to Melvin? I was at uh, Novo, Ohio, where he was raised at, and they had a pro sport truck hunt over there, and it was an early round, and he's treed two coons at this point. Willow's treed two coons at this point, and she's treed again. If she has a coon, I'm beat, and something weird really happened. So my dog, Melvin, was sitting over here treed, and uh, he left the tree. That was never a habit or anything. But they're dogs. You never know what they're going to do. And I was still winning, but she needed a coon to beat me. So if she has a coon, she wins. If she don't, and I, I still win the cast. So we walked to where Melvin was treed. <clears throat> Start the two. Don't hear him. Two catches him. Well, the hunt's over. So now we're walking to Willow, and I'm looking on my Garmin. Melvin's running this field edge down towards this creek, and there's a road up there. Not a big road, busy road, nothing, just a normal country road. And uh, we get in there to Willow, and I see her coon, so I'm beat. I wanted to see it to know if I'm beat or not, you know. And uh, went in there. She has it. And uh, then I look at my Garmin. <clears throat> Melvin's getting close to that road. So I flip his collar light on, and then... I see him get out in the road and then cross back into it or he gets out in the road and then crosses back across it the same way he got out in it. And then I don't see him move on the Garmin, but I'm not ever thinking, Oh shit, he got hit. Cause I'm only 300 yards away. So I'm, I'm like, oh, he caught something or chewing on something dead or in a pipe. Can't hear him. So I end up walking up in there and, uh, right off the edge of the road his collar light was still on and i seen him laying there and he was killed dead and uh the, whoever hit him they uh you can tell where they hit him they broke some plastic on their car and stuff and they just drug him off the road and threw him in the ditch and took off you know and i think it's pretty crappy but hey what do you do yeah what 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 do you do what take me through take me through what was going through your head when you you see the dog who is who's your best friend i mean the dog rode up front with you everywhere i was always getting snapchat videos and stuff of him laying on the couch what's going through your head when when you turned him loose you had an opportunity to win a big hunt at the end of that hunt you're carrying him back to your truck yeah he uh i was heartbroken i mean they uh the other guys they were probably a couple hundred yards behind me and i took my my uh, light off and slammed on the ground and, and screamed I think you know I mean I've never had that happen to him before, before especially with a dog that special and it uh I mean I haven't won like I was back then recently either um, I just got a new dog uh, a few months ago I mean I've done decent with him but uh I don't know if I'll ever be able to replace him he uh, he was special, and he wasn't just a dog, a coon dog, or a tool. Like he was my best friend. Yeah, I mean it's and it's obvious if anybody follows you on social media the impact that he made on you. Because I think it was just last week, maybe you posted something on Facebook. It was just a video, a little compilation video with some music of you and Melvin. Um, you were you were thinking about him that day, you know? It's it's still lingering, and it's been a while. 
uh, Melvin's been gone. Did did that set you back at all? Did you think, dang, like I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna find that dog again? Were you on the? Did you ever think about giving it up when Melvin got hit? Uh, not really. Like I said earlier, I I like coon hunting too much. Um, it was definitely hard, and it still don't really seem real that that it happened. You know, um, that happened early round and. Uh, I still had an entry for the late round, and I got Melvin laying dead in the back of my truck in the bed, and I still have a late round entry, so I hunt Marv late, you know. I mean, and people are like, "I can't believe you're still here." It's like, what do you what do you do? Uh, I got a thousand dollar entry, which I could have left and went home, but I'm there to coon hunt. Yeah, I'll deal with what I got to deal with later and move forward, you know. Right? Did. Melvin, I know he's got one litter of pups on the ground before he passed. Did he did he have any more than that one litter? Yeah, he, he has two litters. Okay. Uh, he had a litter with Piper and then a litter with Fire. And I know that. I don't know much on the uh, the Melvin Piper litter, but I know the Melvin Fire litter has been the talk of the town yep. lately. I know uh, my good buddy, Kevin Collins, has a real nice young male out of him. I believe there's one up in New York. Dan Hubbs has him that he's doing some winning with. Uh, Johnny just bought one back last week off that litter. Do you think those dogs are going to carry on Melvin's legacy? I sure hope so. And if they do, I'll be looking for them in the future. <laughs> <laughs> did you did you ever get Melvin collected, or are those the only two litters that's going to be on the ground from him? Uh, he has a couple straws, so I'm not even looking at him. Right. Until, just- until I know... What he has on the ground already isn't going to work. Right. You know. Yeah, so you're just, just storing those. But at least you do have something. Um, maybe down the road you find that special female. You can you can bring a piece of Melvin back. Yeah. And do something with that. What are your future goals as far as coon hunting is related? Because you've won two world championships, per se. You've play second in the one of the biggest hunts of UKC. What what's next? What are you looking for? Um I uh I'd really like to win the PKC World or the UKC World or the PKC Nationals. I mean it'd be a dream come true if I if I could win one of them. It would really or both of them, you know, in in my lifetime I that's one of my main goals is to win win either of them or both you know so coming up here in a couple weeks and it'll already be done and over with by the time this podcast airs but we have the spring super stakes coming up um for those of you who are listening and aren't aware of what the spring or the super stakes are it's an event where dogs ages one two and three compete against each other in their respective age groups so one year old ton against one year olds twos against twos and threes against threes and that happens twice a year once in the spring and once in the fall Dual, are you going to the Super Stakes looking – are you looking for what's out there? Or is that a time where you can judge good prospects coming up in those age divisions to see what is working as far as, you know, certain crosses, to see what what dog is really making an impact and, and turning heads? Is that an event that you go to looking for the next good young one? Um, I definitely keep my eye out when I go. Uh, I like to think that I'm bringing – a good young one so uh i'm not always just out there to look at buying the next one but if something crosses my eye and i like what i see then we're gonna see what else we can do you know right and i'm the same way i'm there when i go i'm there to win and i know you are as well so i'm, I'm gonna be hunting in the one-year-old division this year and just talking to some people who who are going the one-year-old division looks tough this year and and to think about you said Piper didn't treat her first coon till a year and a half. Um, and she's, she's how old? Seven or eight? Is that what you said? Yeah, seven. And see, she, uh, she's never even doubled up at Super Stakes. Really? No. Do you think that in that seven or eight years, do you think that the, the I don't know even how to explain it. Do you think that dogs have changed that quickly in seven or eight years? Or do you think that these young dogs... Um, they're the same now as they were seven or eight years ago. I'd say they're better. I mean, you think it's evolving that quickly? Yeah, for sure. Uh, 
I mean, I mean, there's not much proof, but just from what I've seen in the last five years at Super Stakes, say five years ago, you uh, have a one-year-old, it trees a coon each round, you're doubling up for sure. Then last year I hunted, um, I think it was a one-year-old. We were training three or four coon per early and late round. And I'm like, what's going on here? Yeah, I know the, the first time that I went to Super Stakes, I took a one-year-old. Actually, it was fire uh, that I took. And the guy who owned her, he said, all right, Bryce, here's the key to winning. Here's the key to winning. Stay out of trouble. They're the one-year-olds. Tree a coon and stay out of trouble. And I don't think that holds true anymore. I think you're going to have to tree a couple to win in the one-year-old division. The two- and three-year-olds, those dogs, some of those dogs have, have already won, you know, $50,000. Yeah, some of them dogs are already the best dogs in the world, you know. And you're hunting against, against all the other dogs that are pups that just have a hundred bucks one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's kind of crazy. So it's, it's an interesting event to me. I, I enjoy going to the super stakes. It's a, it's a week long, uh, test. It's hard. Um, if you have to hunt early and late all four nights trying to make it to Friday, it can wear a guy out, but nationals in the world's the same way. It can really take a toll on a guy and a dog, but those, those big hunts are fun for me. Um, what are your, what are your goals? I, I shouldn't say that. What is, what is next for coon hunting? We have Pro Sport. They're the newest registry. They're hunting for a new truck almost every month. Um, they've got some lower entry fees for, um, that they're hunting a couple times a month as well. Do you see any more registries coming in other than Pro Sport, UKC, and PKC? Or do you think that we have a good mix of what's going on right now? Because I think all three registries bring something unique to the table they have something for everybody but do you think there's there's any room to grow in that or you think those three are here to stay i'd say they're here to stay for sure for a while um they all three have good things about each each one of them like you can take something from pkc and say i wish ukc would do this or you take something from ukc and say i wish pkc would do this vice versa with pro sport too and uh I would say uh, the only thing that UKC could better on is if you could get cast win money, you know, um, which I don't know if that'll ever happen or not, but I would say they would get more people that could, that would want to come so they could come back. If they get a cast win, they could make their gas to get back home instead of just getting a grand night or night champions. Right. What, what do you think about uh, UKC as far as their new rule change this year where at the major events they're going to go to a full elimination style, meaning that you don't have to have – or you ha- do not have to have plus points to win your cast. What do you think about that? I think it's very smart. Um, it would look kind of silly if you uh, had a top 16 and two dead casts come in. You just have a final two of a world hunt. You, you can't do that, you know, and – it's very smart on their part to switch it around and make it more realistic. Right. Because um, that happened, you know, at the World Hunt this last year down there in Dyersburg, they had a dead cast and it kind of threw a wrench in some things. So I think that's a good move on their part as well. Um, and you've won big in all three registries. We already talked about second in TOC. Well, you've won two trucks in Pro Sport. You've placed ninth in the PKC World. Um, other than the World Hunts, do you have any goals for dogs? Like, are you wanting to take a puppy again and start it? and make a platinum champion or are you really just into the handling the dogs uh mostly just into the handling them <laughs> the puppy stuff wears me out if that thing will stay away and start running and training fairly quick then i'm okay with that but hanging out at my feet trying to keep them warm doesn't doesn't stay long with me right all right do well i think that's covered just about everything do you have anything else you want to you want to add to this anybody you want to thank anything like that uh, yeah, I'd like to thank my mom and dad uh, for everything that they do, and uh, my whole family, Custom Construction Services, Ike Rainey, Malcolm Rains, Cowboys Group, Razor Lights, Coon Hunter Supply, Joy Dog Food, and uh, anybody else that I forgot or has helped me the way, I appreciate it. Thank you. I, I know one that you forgot, and I'm glad you did because it made me want to ask you this question. I was thinking about this earlier today. 
Deep Shaft Outdoors. Yeah. Yep. What is Deep Shaft Outdoors? I see you tag them all the time, but I don't know who Deep Shaft Outdoors is. Yep. So uh, it's my buddy from Illinois, Tyson Emery. Um, he a uh, big catfisherman, and uh, that's kind of like a thing he started probably five or six years ago. And uh, like he goes to pro catfish tournaments and stuff like that. So, okay. Like we have hats and a bunch of clothes and stuff from it. It's pretty cool. Yeah, because I've I've seen you wear the hats. I've seen you tag them all the time, and I've always I've meant to ask you for years. Like, what is Deep Shaft Outdoors? And I never think about it. So I'm glad we just took the opportunity to take care of that. Uh, Duel, I appreciate you taking the time to sit down here and record this with me. Um, I look forward to hunting tonight as long as it's not raining too hard. Looks like it might have died off a little bit. Um, guys, thank you for listening to Deep and Lonely Podcast. Be sure to follow the Houndsman XP on all of our social media platforms. Be sure to check out the website, pick up some merch. Uh, we appreciate you guys supporting us. We appreciate you supporting Deep and Lonely. Uh, we'll come at you next time. Thank you.